Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. This week, we're talking about generosity and giving. And actually, I think I learned a bunch of things on this week's episode, and I hope you do too, because my mind was shifted ever so slightly about God's heart when he talks about generosity is such a good, beautiful invitation, because it's not just about healing and helping the person that the gift is given to. It's also about healing your soul. So I'm not going to give it any more of it away to you. So you're going to have to listen to the episode, but it's, uh, I hope it's helpful to you. Like it was helpful to me. Are we live? Is that, is that dun, the introduction? Dun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just continuing continuing uh, the music. Welcome everybody to the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Where I just sing our intro Where music. Oh man, if you're listening for the first time, well, you probably left already. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> they haven't had a chance to click leave. off yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, At least give us 30 seconds. Welcome. Uh, uh, one of your favorite subjects to talk about in all of uh, the Bible is giving. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm such a prosperity person. Yeah, now. you like you're constantly preaching on giving. I'm gonna try and do my best. Like I should have worn a white suit today. You should have, and, and then announced like, that you were gonna buy a private jet. Ah, um, it's on it's on back order. So <laughs> I need the money to start flowing quick. We should probably stop joking about this. <laughs> It's a sore subject for a lot of people. It really um, is, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, so many people have, uh, we are talking about giving uh, out of Jeremiah, well, generosity. Yeah. yeah generosity. Um, it is money is such a difficult subject in the church. Uh, and, and the idea somewhere that God has an, is opinion even strong enough word? God has an opinion on how you see your stuff. And, and that for us tends to land in like in a political discourse. Um, because we're so polarized, like there's the Democrats that want to take your stuff and there's the Republicans that say, no, you get all of your stuff and you shouldn't have to share your stuff. And, and, and maybe there's a whole bunch of us that are like, I don't know whether either of those is right. Yeah. And, and then in the religious space, there's a ton of people who have a lot of wounds around church because they either grew up in a church that had guilted them into, into giving mm -hmm. money or they've heard stories of like, you know, the church corporately through, you know, indulgences and in church history yeah. and like just yeah, like buying pews and all those different things. All these like, different. Yeah. So, so it's a subject that a lot of pastors struggle to talk about because they don't want to be put, put in that hole. But Alex loves it so much that he's forced himself to talk about it not just on Sunday, but also on this podcast episode. <laughs> well, what's funny retrospectively <laughs> is this, you know, back back in some er eras of the church, people would buy a pew. So you'd like donate money and you get your name on it and stuff. So it was your place to sit. Now, nobody wants to sit on the front row. It's free and nobody sits on it. Before, people used to pay to sit on the front row. By the way, I what think happened? it's always funny that you always say sit on things. That's what you do. You stand on a door... That means standing by a door, welcoming I say people. Stand on a door. Oh, I know. I would say and stand then, at a door. And then you sit. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just a little sit, subtle nuance, cultural things. Well, you do sit on on a lot of things, but you like 
Um, you sit in I'm an on the door. Yeah, I'm on the door is definitely a colloquialism, but I would be just as happy saying stand at a door. I would never say stand in a door or on a uh, yeah, I, You I say on a door all the time. <laughs> anyway, on the total door. tangent. I'm on the door. It's, it's a bartender. I'm a bar, on the door. It's a, it's a piece of bar language. Like It's like the doorman is on the door. You're on the door. You're taking tickets. You're on the door. It's a colloquialism. I got a lot of them, a lot of idioms. Hey, if anyone out there would like to draw us, to get out your Photoshop and put Alex standing on top of a door, that'd be awesome. I love it. That, it's because I feel short because my brothers are so tall. Yeah. Must be well, you'd be about, quite like, tall be if higher. you stood on if a door. If I stood on a door, I'd be very tall. Um, <laughs> Where were we? With some of I am money. sorry. So, so the, <laughs> there is this like awkwardness to the money conversation at times. I, I always think one of the weird tendencies as a pastor is... So there's a, in the back of your mind, I think for lots of pastors that you're you're talking about giving and you're aware deeply, well, actually giving pays your salary. It's something we do as a community. Now, you, I'm part of that giving thing too. I give to the church. Like I uh, am one of the giving community. So whenever I say that, I'm not saying it's something that I don't do too, but as churches, we've chosen to say, we're going to employ pastors. Instead of having someone do it for free, part-time, who's gifted, I'm gonna isolate, we're going to highlight a gifted person. I'm going to say, don't work, do this instead. So that's a decision we make. Now, now so, so that doesn't go away. We should get into a long debate about whether that's okay or not. We should. Um, so, so that's not going to change whether I talk about giving or not. That's a reality uh, outside of changing the model of church we use. In actual fact, me advocating for giving well is more about us building a pool of resources with which we can serve the community and the wider world better. Um, yes. So it's super well, important. Well, it's actually more than that, right? It's not just about pooling our resources so that we can serve our community or pooling our resources so that we have a pastor to teach us on the weekends or mm -hmm. a worship pastor or whatever. Um, it's a, like your message this passage that you talked about is like it's it's about not being in cages so that's the, that's, that's the, the second movement right like because because yeah. there's the community aspect of why we do it as a community then there's the individual aspect of why it's actually better for you and me to be people that know how to give and how destructive it is when the only flow is in um, like if all of the, the idea is like, I'm going to get more resources in and I'm going to hold on to them. That's never healthy. It seems actually yeah. releasing them is one of the most important thing you do. Releasing anything you love is actually valuable at some point. At some point, if you're a parent, you're going to have to release your kids. At some and point you have to let go. Even in marriage. In, yeah. Strangely, there is like a, if you hold that person too tightly in the sense that like I control them and they are they are going to be the source of my happiness. That's too much weight mm. for your spouse to carry. Yeah. Um, and so if you hold them open-handedly and you say that they are a gift that mm. I get to enjoy and stuff, but I they're not like my primary source of of happiness and my only yeah. source of happiness, but I find my identity in Christ and on and on totally, and on. Yeah. Then suddenly the, the relationship becomes gifted back to you. Yeah. So the yeah. micro passage we looked at this week in amongst Jeremiah. So broad flow of this book, Jeremiah, that we're weirdly deciding to look at at Lent um, and feels less like a mistake every week is the good news to me. 
Yeah, uh, good job. first week I was like, ah, what have I done to myself and to the community? Yeah, you don't hate um, Jeremiah anymore. It's good. I, I'm like, every week I'm like more excited about it, which is which is good. But but it, like Broadflow chapters one into two through four have like a, uh, a kind of... Oh, that's too much for me to cover on here. So I'm no, no, you don't need to do to that. Here. No, you're fine. You, go, you can live. Chapters two through four have like, a, they're, they're broadly one section. It's this illustration of yeah. Israel and God and Judah and God as being in a marriage together and, and what happens. Then chapters five through eight, broadly uh, one section uh, as well. So in chapter five, Jeremiah goes for a walk around the city. In chapter seven, he gives this big sermon on the temple gates about the city and then into chapter eight beyond that. So in the middle of that, there's this illustration, chapter five, verse, I think it's 26 and 27. Um, that the, the just fascinated me. Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait, uh, like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch people. So in amongst this community of people, there are some who simply uh, use other people to build their own wealth. They take advantage of those around them. It's all inflow. It's all about them. Uh, and that could be broadly like from like today's world, it could be those people that make the calls and like con elderly people into handing over finances. Um, it could be the street hustler. It could be anyone, mob shakedowns, whatever. It could be the things that we just talked about. Theoretically, it could be the um, thinking our wives, our kids, our husbands, our whoever are simply there for our own personal benefit. Um, our church community is just for us. Like broadly, like trying to give some modern day examples, there's a whole range of things that maybe it could be. Yeah. Um, and then he moves on in, in chapter, in Vervan to, to talk about... Uh, 27. So 27, yeah. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. It's this packed in image of like, there's so much deceit, so much... Um, conning of people, so much manipulation of people. This is a house full of deceit, like cages full of birds. And then in the next verse, he moves on to talk about, yes, they have become rich and powerful. They have grown fat and sleek. Uh, and somewhere there, there's this almost avian continuation of the image. Like he doesn't directly, he doesn't directly say like they're like birds, but you get this picture. I'm left with this image like this big, fat, overweight creature um, in, in a cage. A big old fat duck. Yes. Maybe <laughs> not a duck, but some kind of, kind of, some kind of bird. Uh, you see their <laughs> manipulation of the world around them, and then, then broadly now they're the ones that are sick. Uh, they're the ones that are caged. They're the ones that are, um, are warped in some way. So... That to me, just like for whatever reason, as I read through Jeremiah, this image just jumped out. Yeah. And then like how he goes on to talk about, yeah, their evil deeds have no de no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the cause of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. This is Jeremiah um, just highlighting ways that the world isn't working how it's supposed to work. Yeah. It's heavy. It's really heavy stuff, actually. It's really like... Yeah, and if you go back to the beginning like of the chapter, down. he starts by marching the streets. Or yeah. God tells him, march around the streets and try and find anyone doing right. Yeah. And so he goes through the streets, and he's like, no, they're all, all a hot mess. But 
I'm going to give them a break because they're poor yeah. and they probably don't know any better. Yeah. Let's go see the, let's go talk to the, the so higher the rich, ups, the priests, the powerful, the, the, the religious, all these folks. And then that's where this one comes in. So he goes, he goes from the poor who quote unquote might not know better. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to give them a pass because they might not know better. They're just, they're, they're, yeah. Anyway, and then he goes to the rich. That's where this comes in. And these rich folks are basically feeding and preying upon the poor. Yeah feeding and preying upon all these folks. They are setting traps, quote unquote. So one of the things we talked about, the hardest part with Jeremiah is knowing like historically, when does this fit? Because we've got this broad sense, Jeremiah's ministry, his uh, work runs from somewhere around the 13th year of King Josiah um, all the way through to Israel, uh, Judah basically disappearing as a nation. Um, so the 18th year of Jeremiah, Jer Josiah's reign is when the big reform happens, when there's this moment of like, find the book of the law, let's change our ways. Mm. Uh, most people think this part takes place after that, but it's, it's open for debate. Like, has the reform already happened? Has the reform not yet happened? We don't see any significant change in Jeremiah's um, writings of the people. There's no moment he highlights that says, no, everything got better now. So, so the general thinking is uh, like, yeah, this is this is somewhere after those reforms were supposed to have taken place. On the surface, in in the book Second Kings, the historical book, there's this idea: yeah, we all changed. We came back to God. We repented. We did our thing. We like it was a come to Jesus moment, and all was well. And and Jeremiah seems to land on no, you just went to church more. Um, <laughs> you just like you, you didn't change. You just started going back to the temple, um, and the 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 mm. the picture that it created for me was was the the movie um, Rush Hour. There's this there's this corrupt cop, Chris Tucker, who oh, yeah. does this kind of shakedown of a of a local mobster, and then he sends his partner away, and then he just changes his demeanor completely, and it turns out that the the uh, the gangster is his cousin, um, and. They're kind of like, you know, joking about, you know, how scared the the mobster was when Chris Tucker came in waving a gun. Um, and then Chris Tucker looks at him, he's like, why weren't you at church on Sunday? Uh, and the mobster's like, I had some stuff to take care of, but I made the night service though. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's, that's important. Like what, what was the other thing you had to take care of? Um, yeah. Did it did it diametrically oppose what it is to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? Well, in their world, that doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like I went to church. He went I, to church. I did my thing. I went and Jeremiah's talking about exactly the same culture. Um huh. and, and there's no justice is maybe the central word of that. The act, um, yeah, the actual justice or the injustice is not you failed to go to church. Yeah. You failed whatever, the injustice is that you went to church and you didn't actually, you actually didn't defend the just cause totally, of the yeah. poor. Totally, so yeah. The, so there's a couple of things there that really jump out. One <clears throat> is that now I think we're probably having this societal conversation around what justice is. And I don't think we know. I certainly don't think there's like a, a universal comfort with it. I just read San Francisco City Council have just taken a proposal to, to contemplate a proposal that would give black residents of San Francisco a one-time gift of $5 million each as a reparation for slavery. Um, huh. And that they would be entitled to buy a house for a dollar. 
So like that's a legitimate proposal by a group in San Francisco for how they should manage public finances. And that's in their minds justice. So, so now you might be listening and you might say, I completely agree with that. And you also might say, huh. I don't agree with that. So, but justice is now like wow. a, it's a societal conversation. Um, but there's also like this distinct individual application. Like we do justice and you do justice or justly, I guess would be the Yeah, the and, and ironically, like <laughs> is, is that kind of act of justice actually just trying to assuage some internal guilt? Oh. And is that justice? Yeah, and, and what does it yeah. look like? How, how far can you, can you take that? So we've, we've consciously as a society, I think, agreed broadly, at least in our practices, that something is due to the Native Americans that lived here before we yes. got here. So we see like um, college funding for Native American families. We see some level of rebuilding of tribal lands and stuff like that. So there's some conversations that have happened there, but, but nothing quite this dramatic in that sense. Certainly not gifts of $5 million. And then the question becomes, well, well how far back can you go? So I'm British. Um, am I do something because the Romans came and invaded Britain in, you know, I think it was 46 BC or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the answer might be that doesn't seem right. Or what about the Normans came and invaded Britain and am I a Norman or am I a Saxon? Like who, which side am I on? And, um, and then we had this land for a while and you guys stole it off us. Like, so, so where's the line and where's the, that, that broad, like, concept We had to because like, you were persecuting our religious freedoms. That was the story. Um, <laughs> so, so that level Slash of, like... we wanted to do what we wanted to do. <laughs> that level of, and like... And I'm not even a weed. I'm from... <laughs> yeah, you're, I'm you're a from somewhere else. I'm a Swede, so, uh, you know, I was part of the raiding empire that you, kept on hitting your shores, you, you know. Did, I was the yeah. Vikings, you yeah. know. <laughs> so what's entitled to reparations is a complicated thing. So there's even people on the more liberal side in, in San Francisco that have said like, should white San Francisco's San Franciscans that have never owned slaves be asked to give reparations to black people in San Francisco who were never slaves? Um, even if historically there's family lineages that are responsible for that. So that, that's like this complicated conversation around corporate justice. And then there's this individual aspect of like, well, well, it seems like according to Jeremiah, how you use your resources is di distinctly tied to living justly. So here, here's, I feel like this underlying anxiety that rises. I'll just say it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe for others, when we have these kinds of conversations. So, Premise one, let's try and do justice. Mm -hmm. Premise two, that probably involves us caring for the poor, the needy, the mm -hmm. widow, the orphan. Like these are biblical, like foundational ideas, right? And then, okay, I'm ready, I'm in. And then you start looking at the landscapes of options on how mm -hmm. do I actually get into the game? And it's like, okay, I'm just gonna give money to every poor person I have. And then someone else says, well, that's not actually justice because what they don't what they don't need is a handout. They need a hand to, up, a hand up, yeah, or to be seen and acknowledged. Okay, so don't give them money, and now I just need to see them and acknowledge them and build relationship with them. 
okay, so that's the thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, but they do actually need, so suddenly the answer to how do I successfully pursue justice becomes so complicated that it's like, well, which one actually moves the ball down the field? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this other thing? Which one actually helps the mm -hmm. problem? Yeah, it's so complicated because there is, as you say, so many options. And so how do we how do we get into the game mm -hmm. and genuinely try and be people that don't trap ourselves in these yeah. cages of selfishness when it seems like sometimes every gift that I would give or every action I would take has someone else on the other side saying, no, that's not actually helping. You're hurting the issue. Yeah, and I, and I think somewhere like the mindset is maybe the first thing that we can actually control. Uh, maybe Thanksgiving, was it Thanksgiving last year or the year before? I can't remember. But my wife and I were, we had to pick up something or she had to pick up something from somewhere. Um, and so we we dashed off to... Uh, to grab it and we were coming out of King Supers, I think it was, and there was a couple there that were begging on the side of the road. Uh, and so we were like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. And so obviously I have keys to the church, dashed up, grabbed a box for them from the food pantry and said, hey, we brought you some food. And they were like, oh, we don't want food. Um, someone stopped by and gave us, and we don't, we're like, you don't even want to look through it, just see if there's anything you can grab. They're like, no, uh, we want money. Um, and we were like, well, we don't have any of that. Um, now, the easy step is to say, oh, yeah, this anecdote happened. Therefore, I'll never try and give anyone to anything again. Yes. Like that, that, that's the, the mindset that we can land in. Like, oh, yeah, I tried that. I saw I, I actually <laughs> I actually took Thanksgiving Day food another year to a bunch of to a to a uh, trailer park in Detroit. And we were giving out turkeys and bags and we left and about two miles down the road, suddenly I've got this guy on the horn behind me, like waving to me to pull over. Um, and it was this guy driving a BMW SUV who stopped me to let me know he didn't get his free turkey. <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm driving around in a 2001 Acura. I didn't get a free turkey. Um, and this guy's driving around in a brand new BMW. It's really easy to let those things make you start to say, oh yeah, I just, it's not, it's not worth it. Yeah. And actually realizing like the cage thing that probably lands us in the cages that probably lands us prisoners to our own, to our own resources. And so what, what we talked about Sunday, which to me was like the key pivot was we moved to this idea that Jesus has that he never talks about us as owners of anything. He only yeah. talks about us as stewards. So like all of the parables have us in the stewardship role. Um, yeah. Like they never land us in the owner role. Um, and, and so stewardship on one hand, like is, is you can be a bad steward, which is you neglect everything. You just, you know, you, you waste away the money on whatever. You can also be an owner, which is, you know, it's like if I, I, you ask me to look after your house, I end up moving in, like you come home, the locks are changed, I'm like they're yeah. taking over. Um, and, and we tend to think about those two ends of the spectrum. But to me, what I noticed about myself is the sneaky middle ground is that I just say, I'm just being wise with God's money. Um, and, and actually the problem is that he's very rarely wise with his own stuff. Yeah. He's um, almost obnoxiously generous. He's over the top. Yeah. So, so, and over the top, over the top with a group of people who consistently give him reasons not to be, I yeah. mean, you see that with the narrative with Israel, this is a nation that consistently gives him reasons not to be faithful. And he is faithful yeah. because that's his character. 
uh, a group of people, like whether it's our like weird little community at South or the broader church, a group of people that consistently give him reasons not to be faithful. Yeah. A humanity that consistently gives him reasons not to be faithful. Yeah, or like the Romans passage that says, while we we're enemies, yeah. like we're sprinting away, he's uh-huh. chasing us down yeah. kind of a situation. Yeah, and yeah. so, so we, we follow a God who seems to be able to consistently give good things to people that feel like they are, are the people on yeah. the side of the road who are like, no, we don't want food, we want cash. Um, yeah, we're the people yeah. saying that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we don't want grace. We want wealth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he don't want salvation. Yeah. We want. Yeah, he's consistently comfort. it seems good, and generous. Um, and and we're supposed to imitate that. So that's where it gets complicated because suddenly it feels like our stuff is a little bit up for grabs. And I, I there's this guy that I always think of whenever I talk mm. about stuff like this. Back in in Detroit, he was uh, in one of the churches there, and and every time he did a sermon on giving. He would be like, don't talk to me about that. I like my stuff. Like, I, I like my, he had a Corvette that the license plate was, said mistress on it. Um, because that was like, he's like, you know, he had a Harley, he had like all of these different, like his, his garage was like a wonderland of different like things. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I, I like my stuff. Um, and, and it may not be that, but we, I, I like I like my stuff now. Now here's here's where it's weird for me. This is where I think we we were talking about some of the tension. Like I I counted up the amount of dollars that my clothes cost. The shirt I'm wearing, someone gave me. The t-shirt was like two bucks. The jeans were fifteen dollars. The shoes were twenty five dollars. Um. So other things I'm wearing, multiple things were secondhand. Um, the most expensive thing I have on is a watch, which I bought with a, some money someone gave me for doing a, a ceremony. Um, so, so, like, I don't spend, I drive a 2008 Acadia that's constantly breaking down and really needs some money spent on it. So I don't feel like I live this, like, affluent lifestyle. And yet, um, I actually find myself quite often browsing on Facebook Marketplace for stuff that I, I maybe don't need. Uh, and I live a life that most people even today in the world would call affluent and certainly historically they would. So, so we talked about Mm. the John Wesley quote that I tried to delete multiple times where he talks about like all the money that you have outside of your basic needs as a family should be devoted to making the world better, essentially to, to paraphrase it. Yeah. And so so my mental thing was like, how, how would he feel about me spending $40 on stuff in my hair? Like, is he okay with that? Like, I mean, it's not, not yeah. like his opinion is the most important thing, but how do you how do you manage a completely different way of living? Olin, I, I think the funny thing is like, um, <laughs> uh, I had this funny conversation with my daughter on the way to school one day where she says, because I don't buy a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, when we do birthdays and that sort of thing, I tend to ask them not to give me stuff, right? And so uh, one of my daughters just said, yeah, Daddy, like, you don't spend a lot of things, a lot of money compared to some of the rest of us in the family. And, like, sometimes Mommy would get this this or that for a gift and stuff. I said, oh, but Piper, I spend a lot of money on food mm. where and coffee. Mm. So... And she's like, yeah, but but coffee only costs five dollars, and maybe mommy would get a a pair of pants for thirty dollars or whatever, um, and that's so much more expensive. And I said, yeah, but I buy coffee four or five times a week, which 
adds up to more than uh-huh. mommy's genes, you know? And so she goes, she's like, so it's both a math lesson and like this interesting thing of like, and I've even had this problem where like one, one of my girls wants us something and I'm like, we, we can't afford that. But then I can afford my coffee. Yeah. And so like, I don't think of, the, I think their spending's frivolous, but my spending's not that frivolous. Mm. Um, and ooh, that yeah, starts to it's get fascinating. really. And when you think about the rest of the world, like we've both spent time in countries that, that are now described as like, I think the official language is developing countries. Like, and we would have used the term third world countries. Someone said, someone said the next one is like, we're going to call them human resource, rich countries, which oh, we got, we got loads of people, but no, no actual money. Um, <laughs> Like we, we find these terms and some, somehow they become offensive or, or whatever. But, um, but the, what, what's known as a developing nation, um, we've both spent times in some of those places. And I've often wondered how they would see my lifestyle, even what it would look like to take them to like Lone Tree Mall or something like that. Yeah. Park Meadows Mall. Um, and have them wander around and feel the decadence almost of it. Yeah. Like I, I, I love to ski. And, and sadly, this year, in some ways, just because of family life, um, I've, th- this was the first time I went. Um, and, and so one, I'm like, how would they feel to know that I have the money to strap pieces of wood to my feet and slide down mountains? Um, and, and right now, because I have a season pass and I've only been once, my lift ticket for this week right now cost me $600. <laughs> Now, hopefully that will change as I go, hopefully get in a few more ski days. Over yeah. There. But, but like that, that way of living is so different and so foreign to so many other people I know in other countries. Yeah. And so figuring out what your responsibility is there and, and what's healthy is, is definitely complex. So one time I asked this uh, African pastor, because um, I had teams in, in West Africa and I said, one of the things I really would like these teams to learn is to let go of um, sort of uh, materialism. Mm-hmm. That's what I was talking about with him. I said, I feel like a lot of Americans struggle with materialism. And I feel like one of the things they can do is engage the African church. Is that one? That's one thing that, that maybe the African church can teach them. And he said, we can't teach them that. We struggle with materialism so bad. Mm. He said it's just very different for us. Mm. We only have three or four things, but you better not touch my three things. Mm. Whereas you might be, you're obnoxiously generous as Americans because you have excess, uh-huh. but we are ultra possessive of the min- the small amounts that we do have. Yeah. So much so, and because it's a a this kind of culture. So it's like, it's a struggle for all humans mm-hmm. is my point. Um, but it sort of manifests itself in different ways based upon culture or preference of how you spend your money or whatever. But the point is the stuff, it really has this ability to like get its claws into you. Mm, it really, yeah. D- yeah, it really does. And that's like, I mean, I, I described my upbringing as like, we didn't have a lot of spare money growing up. Yeah. Uh, like McDonald's was a treat for us. We did on birthdays. Like for my wife and her family, McDonald's was a convenience that they did when they were short on time. It was a, just a different way of living. Um, and even talking to my brothers and sisters who are younger than me, like my 
oldest brother, he probably remembers more of what I remember. Um, and then probably when I was around, I would guess like probably, was it maybe 14, 15, um, maybe 16, we got, my mom got some inheritance money and that really changed a lot of the dynamic. Yeah. Um, and so they were six, maybe five at the time. They don't remember pre that. Yeah. It's a completely different way of growing up for them. Uh, so, so I have more of a sense of like, yeah, I remember what it was like to not have stuff like that. Uh, I remember what it was like to have friends who said, oh yeah, my family, you know, they'll, they'll buy me $300 of presents, uh, my birthday. And my family was like, no, it's 30. Like I, I, there was a difference. Um, and, and so now I probably live a little bit more affluently than that. I'm, I'm kind of like, ah. Oh. I'm not a generous person by nature. I wonder why. Is it rooted in that? Is it? Yeah. I, just, I, I like to pool the resources and I, I'm, I'm reticent. I'll give away time like crazy, which is unrecoverable. I'll give away energy that like crazy, like it's definitely limited. But financially, I'm, I'm definitely more reserved. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if it's because I feel like there'll be a time when there isn't enough. Yeah. And, and I feel like I've known that. So crazy question, and I don't even know how I think feel about this, but um, is because there's this ability to, for stuff to sort of possess us, is it possible to um, own things and not have them possess you? Like, and then how, like, how do you, how do you navigate that? well yeah so, so theoretically like there's this weird question of like how much possession becomes a problem or like is there a, a certain amount of stuff you can own like so so actually interestingly when jesus is crucified the 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 piece of clothing that's talked about the most is the one like the the the, the garment woven from one piece or woven in one piece yeah um and the soldiers cast lots for it that was probably his most valuable possession. Yeah. Um, certainly didn't like we own today. We own Bibles. He didn't own copies of the scripture. They were in tabernacles. They were in temple. Um, yeah. So, so like, is that basic level of ownership? Is it possible for even that stuff to own you? Or is there a line where suddenly it becomes possible and negative? I don't, I think we think in like certainties, we're like, okay, how much can you have um, before it becomes a problem? And, and it seems like to, to, to your African pal's point, like anything can own you. You can exactly. have almost nothing and it can own you and you can have tons. And it can not only, my, my uncle was super well off growing up. He was like the, the original car phone guy. Like, you know, before anyone else had one, he yeah. was that guy. Always used to dress super, super sharp. And, and yet nothing seemed to own him. Interesting. And so when, when, when my parents were short of, of money one time, like they were figuring out what to do with the house, could they afford to keep it? Just happened to turn up with like a bag of cash. I, I mean, I'm talking like a literal bag of cash and like, you know. Like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Um, wow. So, so like he was a rich person that didn't seem, it didn't seem like anything owned him. He was so generous with stuff. He was always giving stuff away. Um. So, so it seems like it's possible to live with almost any amount of wealth and it not to own you. And it seems like it's possible to have almost any amount of limited wealth 
and it can own you. Or you, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's where Jesus' ownership versus stewardship equation seems to come in. If you can keep a stewardship mentality, well, then you can oversee the greatest amount of wealth for a king who really owns it all. Um, so how do you make that transition? Because I, I see that. I, that's totally true. Like you can have multimillionaires who are like completely owned mm -hmm. by their possessions or not. They're super generous yeah. and, um, and vice versa. You could have very uh, poor people who are obsessed with it and so on and so forth. So how do you make pr progress mm. in, in relinquishing our clutches around our stuff in order to um, surrender that? That's the problem, right? I mean, like, that's where we ended up on Sunday. And, and the best I've got right now is, like, finding ways to practically just choose to give even when you can't judge where it's going. Like, that that seems to me to step in stuff. I'd love to believe I can just hold everything open-handedly because that seems to be what I'm trying to do. It's interesting to me the things I find hardest to give away are things that I think can't be recovered easily. And, and what I mean by that bizarrely is this, like if I get a great bargain on something, um, giving it away is really hard for me because it's a story and it feels like it says something about something I achieved. So I happened to find this jacket on uh, Facebook marketplace. It's like a $700 jacket for 50 bucks. I'm like, that's so hard to give away. Because yeah. I'll never find another $700 jacket for 50 bucks that tells everyone how incredible I am at spotting bargains. Um, it's easier for me to give away a jacket that actually costs me 700 bucks. But if I really wanted to, I could just go and buy another jacket. Um, so could it be, this is a crazy thought, could it be that when God created humanity, he did not design us to have the capacity to own things because he owns them. So, he owns everything. Um, does, does he not give us the, like, that, as soon as we try to switch into that ownership mentality, it's just every time it becomes slightly toxic to our mm. very being as human beings because we weren't designed, because whether, whether it's being obsessed with it or being obsessed with, okay, I want to give it away, but I want to make sure that when I give it away, it's actually really useful. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's still like, we're not smart enough to figure out which space to put it to, mm. which investment to put it in. Like there's so much anxiety around making sure that we do the right thing with the stuff. Maybe we were never really designed to own anything in the that, first and place. May, maybe that's true. And may, maybe that's why the constant reminder seems to be all of this is fading away. Um, Ownership seems to speak of permanence. And and so Sunday morning, my example was the bizarre story behind 40 Wall Street. Like who yeah. really owns it? Like when you think about it, like who really owns it? And, and there might be legal ownership today, but can you really own anything? Um, and, and the answer seems to be, no, you can't. Like God doesn't surrender ownership of anything he's made. It's all his anyway, and we'll all return to him. 
Um, and, and so really it's a, it's a bit of a, a wake up call because there's nothing that stops us living like we own it. We're given full ability to do that. Um, but trying to, to, to realize, no, it's not good for us to own stuff uh, seems to be like the key to, to moving beyond it. Or to just like, oh, yeah, that, it, that mentality forces you into stewardship mode. Yeah. Where you say, God, the reality is I'm not smart enough to know how to handle this. Yeah. Like even the most brilliant financial minds out there, um, I can't carry the weight of possessions. Only you can carry that weight. Mm -hmm. So I hold it open-handedly. And if you choose to take it, I know that's better for me. Yeah. If you choose to to keep it here, that's better for me. And when mm -hmm. I give my gift to the poor or to the church or to whatever, it's truly an act of, oh, praise the Lord. I don't have to carry the weight mm -hmm. of that anymore. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's a different way of thinking about giving than, than um, I got to make sure I manage it and that it, I put it in the right places and that I give to this strategically mm -hmm. and that yeah. thing. and. You're still controlling all of the outcomes when yeah. it's that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what's toxic to the soul is the control. And so I think if we could finally get to the point of seeing ownership is bad for us, and I'm not talking again having stuff, I'm talking about really living like you own it. Yeah. It, it might be helpful. I was, I was listening to Jordan Peterson the other day, and it was fascinating to me because I felt like I spend a lot of time talking to people about moral choices. Yeah. Um, kind of in the job. Like, so I might say, what well, well, morally, like monogamous heterosexual marriage is the, the moral choice. Um, and that's what you should do. If you're married, you shouldn't go and have an affair because it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I agree with, I think I'm right, but it was fascinating to me because he was talking about marriage and, and he was coming from the angle of, I'm not going to talk to you about morally it's right. I'm going to talk about why it's beneficial and why you should want that, and why you should not give it up. See, um, yeah. Which was fascinating to me. So he was talking, he said, you know, I'm, I'm talking now to guys that you, you think, like, I want freedom. He's like, so freedom for what? He's like, freedom to, to, like, just, you know, do cocaine every night and go and hire prostitutes every night. Why? What's it going to get you? Like, what will it do? Like, and he's just so pragmatic about it. Yeah, I think that this is one of the biggest problems that um, a lot of churches and Christians get wrong about the gospel. Uh -huh. The gospel is an invitation to the good stuff. Yes. It's not a don't do this because it's bad. Uh -huh. It's actually don't do this because it's killing you. Yes, exactly. So he was like, even like he's approached to like, you say you don't want children. Why? Because like just on the surface of it, like, having children is the most rewarding thing you can imagine. Like, I mean, like, you know, you, you, from a mother's perspective, like being able to hold and have physical contact with this small creature. And for, from a father's perspective of being able to see this child grow and to do like, he, he's like looking at it from the pragmatic of like, why would you not want that? Um, totally. So, so, so it was just yeah. so fascinating to me that we, we tend to think like, yeah, you've got to not own stuff or, or at least not let it own you because, well, well, God said, don't own stuff. But like, so no, don't carry that burden. Like, don't hold it. You're not made to hold it. It's too much for you. Yeah. And so like when I, sometimes when I talk about giving like in between a song or whatever, and we're about to do a uh, 
prayer for our, our giving and tithes and stuff like on a Sunday morning, I love to point out like God doesn't need your stuff. He owns it anyway. Yeah. Like if he needs your stuff, he can zap you and take your stuff, quote unquote, totally. whatever. Or he can just say, okay, stock market crash. Like he has the prerogative to take your stuff. He, owns he a does on not a, yeah. cattle need on a thousand hills. Your stuff. Mm-hmm. So like this idea that like, oh, if I don't give, God's going to be like upstairs mm-hmm. freaking out about how he's going to make budgets meet for the mm-hmm. universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way. That's like comical to even say it that way. <laughs> it's like, like, he's like, how am I going to make ends meet? I have to deal with this poverty like, situation. I might have to let Alex go. I'm really stressed yeah. about that. Like, so, <laughs> just like, so, so that's not why we give. And, and it's not even like, ultimately, like even what your comment about being on a church staff, on a paid staff, that that might be an anxiety that a staff member yes. feels. Yeah. But the reality is false. So, From yeah, God's nonsense, perspective, yeah. he's like, if I want to take care of this pastor, yeah. I'm going to take care of the and pastor. And the church would be fine if it didn't have one. Totally. Like, it would be different. It would be different, be fine. but totally fine. I, he's not freaking out yeah. about money. So why do we give? Well, and the answer is we give because we need to. Yes. We give because it's, it's like this spiritual practice of like this stuff is like clawing into yes. me. I'm in a cage. Absolutely, and when I give, yeah. I get out of the cage. So, so there is, uh, and yet there is this other element to it that I think comes out. Oh, nice phone call from someone. Whoever you are, 303-905, asterisk, 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 asterisk. If it's, a, we should, if it's a spammer, we should publicly yeah, put it out there and just spam them, them back. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, th- there is this aspect that comes into this Jeremiah passage to come back to that. Like, like I gave the picture of the Colorado River this week. Yeah. Um, so there's this river that's rich, maybe doesn't have as much water as it used to have, but is, is, is substantial. And there's this crossover from the States to Mexico where finally the last dams take almost the last of the water. And so once you get across the border, there's really nothing there. It's just these dry, like, dry expanses that were formerly rivers uh, and we keep the water somewhere in our giving there is this decision to release resources downstream now can god just provide resources downstream absolutely but it seems like he's chosen to trust humanity to do that and the win for from god's perspective the win for doing it his way mm-hmm by using someone upstream to help someone downstream is he heals two people at yes, the same time. Exactly. He heals the person who's in the clutches of, uh-huh. of materialism. Yeah. And he heals the person who's in the clutches of poverty yes. or dryness. And he invites us to common community, which seems to be one of his big goals. Yeah. Like we're not made to be individuals. We never were. Uh, when, you know, when, when he asks, when I, when Cain in, in Genesis asks him, am I my brother's keeper? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> has that ever been a question? Like, and that's not because, yeah, his brother brother needs that by himself. Yeah. It's because they both need each yeah, other. Absolutely. You know? So, so like this, this like this mm. anger that we see is is the anger of a parent that sees two kids destroying each other, and they're like, no, you need each other. Like, no, you, you don't know. This is no way to live. Come and live in this better way. Come. The, the invitation is always come and live in this better way. Uh, and the invitation to us is to release resources and see the river um, 
reach people who desperately need it. Yeah, that's good. Hmm. Anything else you so, wanted to cover? Well, I think I think that to me, like the big takeaway, I'm I'm still wrestling with a week later is really uh, where where is stuff owning me? Where well, what's reasonable and what's good and what's like healthy? I've been looking for a bike for a while. Is it healthy to spend money on a bike? Maybe. Um, would it be healthy at some point to give that bike away? Yeah. Um, so, but see, that's the beauty of not owning the stuff. You can just consult God, who yeah. is the owner, and say, "All right, Lord, give me wisdom here." Yeah. And then I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to trust that it's not mine anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my first guitar I was so possessive over, and then uh, it got, like, I, I was on stage, and it, like, the strap fell off, and it's flipped over and then smashed and, like, literally cracked the edge. And then as the weather happened, the, the face of the guitar just started peeling up. Oh. And I poured so much time and energy oh, into this man. thing. So anyway, the next guitar I got, I be, I just made, said, Lord, this is your guitar. If anyone asks to borrow it for your kingdom, the answer will always be yes. I love it. And so, oh man, like I have two, three very nice guitars and I, but I travel with them. I mm-hmm. let people borrow them like crazy and stuff. And it's so freeing to not freak out about my guitar mm-hmm. all the time. Is that bad stewardship? Maybe, but it was like, at least it's not got the clutches in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much more freeing for me not to have to like freak out. Where is it? Hey, is it going to get scratched? Okay, you can borrow my guitar, but if you scratch it, I'm going to wring mm-hmm. your neck. I, no, it's just, it's not my guitar. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. Yeah, there's such a great attitude. It feels so it. much better to have that attitude and that might be the only possession that i feel that way about but maybe <laughs> maybe it should grow into some of the other possessions that i have yeah yeah absolutely I, mean, I think the beautiful thing is the invitation to learn this as a community and alongside um the god who loves us and i think sometimes the implication can be get this right now otherwise god is mad and sometimes in fact maybe more often than not there is a generosity of God's heart that says, yeah, I'm with you as you're figuring this out. Yeah. Um, I, I remember another pastor telling me a story about how he said, this couple came to me and said, we're thinking about spending $3,000 on a couch. Um, but we could also give that money away because maybe our old couch is okay. And he's like, yeah. And, and maybe seems to be a good word for that. Like it could be that if you bought the couch, that would be fine. Um, and it could be if you gave the money away, that could be fine. Uh, and we tend to get obsessed with like, what's the right decision? And and sometimes the answer is, yeah, choose. Um, this is this is so. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I was just talking to uh, one of our elders, which you're one of them, and I, he was describing this discernment process that the elder board is putting in place, mm-hmm. um, just for making all sorts of decisions, mm-hmm. right? All kinds of things, rather than. Like, is there a healthy, spiritual, prayerful process to make decisions as an elder board? And so the board has sort of put this this rhythm in place mm-hmm. for how they're going to make decisions moving forward. And it was really exciting to me to hear that process yeah. because it's essentially saying, God, this is your church. You tell us what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yes, there's a process of basically the big, the process is, Letting go of my agenda, mm-hmm. letting go of my agenda, letting yeah. go of my agenda, letting go of my agenda, and eventually you get to the place where I literally sell, uh, give the couch or buy the couch, 
not by the couch. I literally don't care. Yeah. What I the, care about is God, what do you want? The indifference piece. And that seems oh, to be like that, at the heart of like... It like warmed my heart to hear that from yeah. the board to say that that's their goal is to get to the place where genuinely whichever decision God speaks to the board, they're genuinely ready to just mm -hmm. jump. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And yeah. that's what we're. That's maybe the invitation for us as as stewards is to get to the place where we say, keep the house, give the house away. Mm -hmm. Keep the couch, yeah. sell the couch. Yeah. It's your stuff. You yeah. decide. And 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 I like, I uh, to to go to back to a micro example. I was given the shirt by someone in the church. I love this shirt. He gave it to me because I'd said like, oh, I really like that shirt. Just turned up on my my doorstep. I'm going to enjoy the shirt as long as God allows me to enjoy it. Now you look good in point, it, man. He might say he looks. I, th I said he looked better in it. But anyway, at some point, it it might be that God says, like, it's time to let it go. Um, and, and to hold that in, But hopefully not until it has holes in it. Hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. But, but, but while I have it, to enjoy it is to value it. To, to, we're not talking about not enjoying stuff here. Yeah. Like, to enjoy the stuff that God has given you to steward. Again, this is not guilt. Yeah. This is invitation. And that's the hard part. Ah. So often the church turns to guilt. Like, so one of the, the practices or questions I gave people to ask on Sunday was this. How do I continue to do this, not in guilt, but in joy? Yeah. Um, so that, that I think is something to take away. Like, how do you let go? How do you maintain the joy in the stuff God leaves in your hands as you hold them open? Yeah. Um, mm. Good. Love it. Well, we didn't have any questions this week. We didn't? Um, I because evidently, perfectly. that's what Teresa said. <laughs> <laughs> evidently, his sermon was so crystal clear, no questions. <laughs> or or it was people weren't quite connecting it to uh, some political agenda. Or something. I don't know what it, you know, I don't know what it was, but no questions this week. So well, I think we'll end it there. Um, if you appreciate this podcast, I it would be subscribe. helpful for you to subscribe, like. to share, yeah. to um I think we've got five reviews on uh, iTunes look. and two of them are you and I. <laughs> oh shoot. I was all excited and then I yeah. So um, uh reviews really, really help. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna post it all over my social media and be like, We pour so much podcast. time and energy into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that we would like you. This is our invite. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, our invitation to you uh, to help us out in that way. Yeah. But. And now for our giving moment. Not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All the things you know the things I'm just supposed to. Say, I feel like this is just a, a thing I'm supposed to do as a podcast host. I I feel like it's the stuff that I feel like it's stuff you're supposed to do as. A podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, we're signing off uh, now. Maybe if I can find the button that says stop. I love it. I found it. Way to go! Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.